0: Wow, if you need some encouragement this morning, isn't that a song that does it for you? I mean, our God will not change. He won't be moved. He will reign forevermore. What a great message of the truth about our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in a changing world, in a frustrating world, and a world where people abandon us and leave us and hurt us. Our God will not. Let's pray together. Father, we just pray and thank you this morning for this powerful message of the truth about you you are the same today yesterday and forever and therefore we can trust you what you say you will do and what you tell us about ourselves is true and what you promise us for the future is true and so God I just pray this morning as we spend some time now digging into your word that we would listen to your voice Today, if we hear the word of God, today, if we hear your voice, let us not harden our hearts. So, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be very, very soft right now, very willing to hear, very pliable, that you could shape us, change us where we need to be changed, challenge us where we need to be challenged, teach us where we need to be taught. And help us, O oh God, to follow through on the great message of the gospel, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to say a little bit to you about compassion before we begin. And uh, I think it was six or seven years ago when our team, our leadership team, were talking about the fact that we really had not officially presented an endorsement Of a child sponsorship ministry here at Calvary, and we knew that people were sponsoring here and there, but uh, some had approached us about um, where, if we were to sponsor children, what would you advise? And we just really hadn't done the work. And so, I set out to do a a very thorough investigation of child sponsorship ministry opportunities in Canada, and looked at all that there was out there, and um, was very thorough on. On, on the basis of certain criteria that were absolutely non-negotiable for us. We wanted to make sure that we could bring you something that was financially accountable, uh, where most of the money would actually get to the people or to the children who needed the money. Two, we wanted to make sure it was gospel-centered. We want to make sure that not only are you feeding and clothing and sheltering people, but we, you were taking them to the message, the life-transforming message of Jesus Christ, and third, we really, really wanted to make sure it was church-based, because we realized that unless your roots get deep inside of the local body of believers and grow in community, it would be unlikely that you could hang out there by yourself and be OK. And the only one that we could find that would meet all three of those things was Compassion International. Compassion Canada, in our case. And so we uh, didn't leave it there. Um, you sent me on an investigative. Uh, journey to make sure that we would check out a site and see if they actually do what they say they would do and so I went to Lima Peru and investigated the compassion ministry there and uh, Lynn and I went and we we discovered that not only were they doing what we had hoped they were doing but they were beyond our expectations you know it's one thing when when somebody meets your expectations and that's a great thing but when we got there and saw what was happening and what was happening in kids lives and how church-based it really was and they were following through their organization and they could they could show you exactly what the children were about their their lives and, and and had documented everything that had ever been done it was it's unbelievable it really truly is an unbelievable ministry and you know i don't get up here and gush a lot but i gush about compassion because it really is a tremendous tremendous ministry how many are, how many sponsor kids uh in here all right, there's lots of room for more sponsorship. Uh, uh, we're really excited. We, we got our little guy, Abel Yabel, about six years ago. Uh, we picked him because of his name. He was cute too, but his name, Abel Yabel, you know what? That's easy to remember to pray for, Abel Yable, It kind of rhymes. And So we have our little guy, and he started out at four, and now he's ten. And, and uh, I'd like to meet him someday. I, I certainly will someday either here or in heaven, but I'd like to meet him here. And, um, and so we just encourage you. And, and actually, Deacon Nick Wagner was sharing with us uh, Thursday night. Um, he, he spent a couple of years in Uganda with Campus for Christ, probably called Life Ministries there, uh, but you know it as Campus for Christ. And um, he, he was mentioning that uh, among the first kids in university to step forward in terms of, of passionate about evangelism on their campus are alumni from the Compassion ministry themselves kids who'd been sponsored raised in the church knew about jesus christ knew how valuable christ was and how much it changed their how much he changed their lives and they'd step forward as uh, key leaders to to uh, advance the cause of christ in campuses and this is what this is about and so i just want to throw my two cents worth in and say it it really matters um to change a, a life and uh and it's so simple to do to uh to sponsor some kids so so i really want to encourage you to do that um we have about 185 sponsors sh- sponsored kids out of calvary we've had higher than that at one point i like to get it back to our high watermark i think it was 240 at one time so we've slipped down so let's let's adopt some kids it it, it will change their lives christ will change their lives obviously but uh, there's two f- spiritual there's two poverties physical poverty and spiritual poverty and uh we can make a difference so let's do that so that's my mini-sermon and now we have a larger sermon Hebrews chapter 3 um one of the fatal approaches or a fatal approach to our to Christianity and and you know we've been talking to you about the in the in the sermon of Hebrews it is a a call to the church to um to wake up because some are slipping away or falling away or considering falling away and leaving their faith, leaving Christ. And so the, the, whole, of the, the whole of the book of Hebrews is that one sermon with that one message. And, and Hebrews chapter 3 is a powerful, powerful call uh, on, on our lives. And as I was thinking uh, about this particular uh, section of Scripture, it occurred to me that, that one, of the, one of the fatal... Uh, I think, fatal mistakes or fatal approaches to Christianity is to treat it as the same way that you treat your citizenship in Canada. Now, I know that as you look through the Scriptures, you see many times where our faith, where Christianity is compared to our citizenship. Like our citizenship is in heaven, and, and we're ambassadors of Christ. And, and so there's all that kind of uh, words that we understand and, and acknowledge. But, but the whole idea of citizenship, I don't know about yours, but mine, I, I, my parents... Uh, gave birth to me, and, and I got a birth certificate, and I, I became like a Canadian citizen, because I was born here, and I don't really have to do anything about it, I just have to live and, and work, and, and uh, I'm a Canadian, and, and I'll be a Canadian, if I don't do anything about it, I'll be a Canadian uh, when I die, and, and some people take their Christianity, or their faith that way, they say, well, I, oh, I, I made that kind of a sort of a decision for Jesus uh, as a camp, or i can 't remember what it was, my grandmother's plays, or something like that, and, and then they just go into some sort of stage of dormancy or, or live any way they want and and, and uh, eventually drift away and you know you know we, we see the empty seats in, in this in this congregation I mean, do you realize there used to be people sitting in some of the spots that are empty and they 've just like drifted away they're, they're nowhere with Jesus. Part of the issue here of course, is that The starting line is not the finish line. In fact, it's it's particularly important and critical that we understand that if we passively take our faith for granted, it's highly possible that at the end of it all, we might find out that we actually didn't have saving faith. That's the concern, the, the evident concern that was going on in this church at that time, and the concern that I have about our own church about the fact that that we see people drift away, fall away, and they don't come back. The decision for Christ that you may have made, for it to take hold in your life, has to be a daily decision of, of taking that decision seriously. Uh, in theological terminology, we realize that the, the, the theology of salvation is a, a three-pronged reality, that we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And in order for the whole package deal of salvation to be true of your life and for you to end up in eternity with God forever, all three of those things have to be True of your life, you have to be saved. You have to be being saved, and you will be saved. There's no shortcut to this. There's no shortchanging any of that. It's crucial, and it's imp- imperative for in two ways. I want to I want to point out to you that there's so many people today who are, who are absolutely taking their faith for granted. They're their Christianity, their claim to know Jesus Christ for granted, and 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 living lives of sinfulness and declaring when challenged, well, grace will take care of it. Grace is not a vaccination against the effects of sin. Grace is more like a um, a suppressant to a taste for sin. So it's, it's incorrect to say that I came to know Christ or I made a decision for Christ and you're living in a completely sinful lifestyle all the time to, to, to suggest that grace will take care of it. But it's equally flawed thinking to embrace any idea or notion that you could Be a person of true saving faith and ever lose your salvation. These two tensions or these two realities are held in tension in the book of Hebrews. Don't ever, ever, ever take your salvation for granted. But don't become insecure about true saving faith and God's promise to hold you and never let go of you. So I don't want to shake you out of either of those realities. I don't want to do anything different than the preacher has done here. I want to call on you from the heart to say, make certain you truly are of the faith. But in making certain that you're truly of the faith, be secure in that faith and live in it. And love the Lord and be confident. So let's get down to business here and look at the text. Because in Calvary Baptist Church, I would like to make sure that we understand that this should be a no spiritual straggler zone. That's what this, really this sermon is going to be all about. Make certain because because we're you're all too valuable you're all of us as we look around at each other your lives are far too precious to squander them away or for any of us to let anybody squander their lives away or straggler or straggle themselves away from the lord so for me when i think about our church and the statistics that are out there that suggest that vast numbers of people in evangelical churches don't even know Jesus. The brokenness of my heart is that that would not be so of one single person who ever hangs out at Calvary Baptist Church. Now, this would be a no spiritual straggler zone. I'm going to talk to you about what that looks like uh, from God's Word here this morning. Hebrews chapter 3, therefore holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling. Now, can I stop just for a second? Do you see who this is addressed to? This is not addressed to to classically lost people. This is addressed to the church. This is addressed to people who are identifying themselves, at least externally, as holy brothers sisters brothers is a status it's not a gender in the Bible who share in the heavenly calling I want to be that person don't you want to be that person a holy brother sharing in the heavenly calling absolutely so we should be able to stop the text there say well that's what we are we're holy brothers sharing in the heavenly calling but that's not where the text stops This preacher says this. you got to do something about that. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly Till the end, the confidence we had at first. The starting line is not the finish line. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? Who, Who were the rebellious in the earth? Were they the pagan Babylonians? The pagan Persians? No, they were Moses' church. And with whom was he angry for 40 years? The Babylonians, the Persians, the Egyptians? No, Moses' church. Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And who were those? The Babylonians, the Egyptians? The Persians? The Medes? No! Moses' church! And to whom did did God swear that they would never enter His rest? If not to those who disobeyed Moses' church. So we see that we were not able to enter they were not able to enter because of their unbelief let's um let's understand something from the beginning it's the word rest is mentioned many times in the hebrew sermon what is the rest of god many of us have sort of clung to that scripture text. Jesus had come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, burdened, and I will give you rest. We sold Christianity. You know what? Come to Jesus and then get on a chaise lounge, put your hand, hands behind your head, get a sarsaparilla beside you, get your wife to bring you some treats. And <laughs> now that's what I call rest. That's not what this is talking about at all. This rest is actually the blessing and grace and favor of God, both now and forever. This rest is almost interchangeable in that what you have from God, you will have forever. What you don't have from God now, you won't have in eternity. But what you have now will be far, far greater in eternity that you have the presence, the grace, the favor of God now and the blessing of God now will be accentuated in heaven. There'll be no more obstructions, no more uh, obstacles, no more sinful heart, but rather just the enjoying of the constant rest of God. But it's not inactivity. It's a state of being. It's not a place. It's a state in God's rest. We should be able to look at each other. Are you in God's rest today? Are you in Jesus' rest today? If you know the Lord, you are in the rest of God. So what's at stake here? What's the big big takeaway is if you allow yourself to become sloppy, it's highly possible you don't have salvation, and therefore are abandoning or forfeiting the blessing and grace and, and uh, presence and favor of God, both now and for eternity. So what do we do? There are four, out of this text, there are four common characteristics of those who follow Jesus into the heavenly presence of God. That's what we're talking about. And by the way, those who are in the greatest peril within the church of Jesus Christ are those people who isolate themselves from community. Christianity, I'm not sure how you were sold in Christianity, but Christianity is all about people meddling in each other's lives. I'm sorry, that's what it is. We muck and meddle around in each other's lives. We get in each other's face. We're in each other's grill. That's what Christianity has to be. It is. And we're going to see that as we continue on. Because we leave no one behind. And the only real sign that you've come to share in Christ is that you hold firmly to the end and it requires all of us to help each other to hang on and hang in when everything is pressing on you to go in the opposite direction today you need me tomorrow i'm going to need you that's how it works So what do they do? First of all, they do this. Look at, look at what it says. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Verse 1 of chapter 3. They fix or focus, people who hang in there fix or focus their thinking on Jesus as the chief example of faithfulness. They let his way of life fully occupy their thinking all the time. The audience here is holy brothers, those considered to have benefited from the purification for sins that Jesus has established for us. These are the ones, it says in the text, who are sharers in the heavenly calling. That means sharers in Christ. What that literally means is closest companions to Jesus. When you came to know Christ as your Savior and your Lord, you became his closest companion, and he became your closest companion. Jesus is thinking about you all the time, every day, every moment. Do you realize that? You are his closest companion, and the call here is to treat him as your closest companion, to talk to him, to fix your thinking on him, to think on Jesus all the time. Fix all of your thoughts on Jesus. We are confessors. It says says at the end of that verse, whom we confess, Jesus, on whom we have confessed. We have confessed publicly our identity in Christ. And so for us, what this literally means is we think all the time about what, not what would Jesus do, so much as, what did Jesus do? That's what we are about. The, the ancients used to call it practicing the presence of Jesus in your life. Why? Well, the question's answered here. It says, listen, Moses was a great example of faithfulness. That's what it says here. Was He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. But Jesus, it says... In distinction to Mo, in contradistinction to moses jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than moses why because he's the builder of the house moses was a leader in god's house or the leader of god's house and we have many leaders over the years of god's house but we only have one builder of god's house and that's jesus he's the builder of god's house and you're the house i'm the house so doesn't it stand to reason that if you're the house that's being built, you go to the builder all the time. When you're looking to be shaped, when you want to know, hey, Lord, what's today? What's the renovation plan today? Is it, is it, is it uh, you know, um, fix it or list it or whatever or love it or list it or renovate this or fix that? What, Lord, what is it today that needs to be done in my life because you're the builder, and not only that but jesus was the faithful example under stress uh, moses was a faithful servant verse five in all god's house testifying to what would be said in the future but christ is a f- is faithful as a son over god's house jesus set the standard of how a human lives in a stress-filled world in in uh, faithfulness to the father in heaven So when I'm wondering about what to do in this situation or in that situation, I look in the book and I read about my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and I look at how he handled. How did he handle an enemy? What did he say about one who drills you in the face? What are the things that Jesus teaches us? Think on Jesus. When trust and dependence and faith are under fire and what to do, think about this. If every thought, every intention, every action, every plan was first run by Jesus in our mind, how radically different would we live? If we were in a constant FaceTime with Jesus, how different would it be for us? And let's be honest if you're thinking about Jesus all the time, you're not thinking about sinning. It's as simple as that. Secondly, real Christianity endures. If you got the real stuff, If you got saving faith it will endure but it's never presented in the bible as a passive thing not ever so verse 6 says and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast those who follow Jesus in the heavenly presence of God, hold on. Faith is an action initiated by the Holy Spirit and intentionally put into daily practice or operation by you and by me. I'm not much for that let go, let God thing. It's never really rung my bell. That's too, that's I don't see that passivity in the Bible. I, I understand the right context. You, you know, if you're kind of too activist and you, you uh, don't depend upon God and all that, I understand maybe you need to hear that thing, but I don't think the Bible teaches it like that. I think it teaches us, let God and work like crazy. I think that's what the Bible says. Let God and work like crazy. Although we are dependent... We are not passive. There's an if clause here. You really belong. You really are his house if you hold on. And what are we holding on to? It says our uh, courage. To our courage. That means publicly holding on. That means taking a stand. In the face of opposition and persecution and disagreement, and, and people looking at you like you've lost your mind, it means to hold on with public courage to what you claim to believe. We are confessors of Christ. That means publicly we are taking a stand and claiming by identity who we are. I'll tell you what, the other side is not too shy about calling out their identity. It's all over. Everybody's declaring their identity. They're courageous and taking stands and all of this. And Christians are, are um, chicken and fearful and, and, and muzzled and saying nothing. No, no, listen. You have the real stuff. It says, if you hold on to the courage publicly. Not only that, it says that the courage but and the hope of which we boast. The hope of our forgiven relationship with Christ. Isn't that a definition of faith, really? Faith is believing that he is, taking a public stand, And that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That hope is not what we see necessarily, but what we believe is going to be available to us. The promise that is is granted to us by what Christ has said. We are singing here this morning that God will never change. And my God reigns forevermore. We haven't been to forevermore yet. We have to believe that so We have to believe that we're hitching the wagon of our hearts to the eternal king. Not because we've been there yet, but because we believe it. We hope it, but it's a sure hope. Maybe I can illustrate it this way. Faith is not a passive thing. It's it's something you have to absolutely commit yourself to by way of action. The book of James is all about that. Faith without action is dead. It's not real faith. Genuine faith makes a difference in you, in how you live, not just in what you believe. It's not just the, the things uh, that you believe, but it's the choices you make that determine whether you have a real faith or not. You can hardly make a case for genuine faith or believing faith in God if you don't trust Him in life. Um. I think it was a couple summers ago, Pastor Steve came up with a real fun idea as a team building plan. He thought it would be really, really fun for us to go on a high ropes adventure together. How many know what a high ropes deal is? How many don't know what high ropes is? Okay. Could you, give the guy, could you give them a picture of this, Stephanie? There's a lot of people who don't know what high... That, that's high ropes. <laughs> high ropes is positioning your body at the top of trees and trying to cross very difficult obstacles that are, that are moving all the time that you can't and, and get to the other side. And it's not just one. It's obstacle After obstacle after obstacle until you're exhausted while all the 20 year olds run by you. (laughs) Now, if you remember, Pastor Kelvin shared last week his great fear of death that he has overcome through Christ. There's a great fear I have that I have not yet overcome through Christ. And that is the fear of heights. I, I'm like, I'm terrified right now. And so, Pastor Steve said, Suck it up and face your fear. Just get up there. So, he didn't really say that. But that's what this amounted to. See, the thing is, I'm not afraid of death, I'm afraid. Of the interim period between knowing that you're going to die and the splat that finally ends it that's what I'm afraid I'm not afraid of the death because I know I'm gonna go be with Jesus that's fine I just don't want the time between knowing and splat that's what I don't like about heights so now now seriously they harness you in and there's a rope attached and all that kind of stuff but when you're walking on this stuff you might as well be thinking you're putting your life on a line and so for I don't know how long it took an hour it was sheer terror and I learned what holding on really means cuz I'm holding on you see me there I am holding on As I go across you, and there was one place where there's a chasm, like the Grand Canyon. I know you don't think there's one in Oshawa, but there's a Grand Canyon chasm. (laughs) I've seen it with my very own eyes. And it's long. It might start here, and it goes way past that exit sign. And it is high. And there's nothing there except this wavering slats of wood that they strategically... Leave out three or four, so you have to step over while you're looking down. But I did it. No, 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 this is not, thank you, Joel, but it's not an applause moment. I did it out of pride, not out of any other reason. There's no way the young guys were going to have one up on me, that's all. I would rather die So anyway, here's what I learned. The only reason I was willing to go across that chasm is because I knew that I had a harness on that would prevent me from dying. I knew I couldn't fall. But I held on for dear life anyway. And I really think that's what faith is. Faith in God enables us to do things we would never do, face our fears and move forward on the journey not because we're not afraid but because we know for certain by faith that jesus won't let go of us and so we hold on to him for dear life even though he's holding on to us and we go forward that's what i learned in the high ropes pastor steve thank you a moment of sheer terror but yet a needed theological lesson for me. There's a third reason I notice here. By the way, if you, if, you aren't, if you aren't taking what you claim to believe and mobilizing it in your life, putting it into action in your life, exercising trust and faith in Christ... Then you're really just a window shopper of Christianity you're really just a tire kicker you haven't bought in to who Christ is and how he shapes your life and depending on him and what it means so I keep moving forward in the text and I come to the third here and I notice in verse 7 it says so as the Holy Spirit says and that arrested my attention because I know this is Psalm 95 that he's quoting from. And I thought David wrote that. But wait a second. We get in a habit so often saying, well, Paul said this, and David said that, and Moses says this. This is a reminder from our awesome God hey, this is my book. I wrote this book. It's the Holy Spirit who says. This is not the preacher, not Paul, not David. The words to us this morning, in case we needed a reminder, are the Holy Spirit's words. If you have an ear to hear, hear what the Holy Spirit says to the church this morning. And here's what he says. See to it, verse 12. That none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Those who join Jesus in the presence of Almighty God forever see to it that sin is never allowed to move to unbelief, which moves to hardness, which moves to rebellion. In verse 16, it says, they heard and they rebelled. They heard the words of God and they went the opposite direction and did what they wanted to. Back in chapter 2, verse 14, it says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, meaning Jesus, shared in the humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Do we understand? I've had uh, had an aha moment that was just really fresh a few weeks ago about what Jesus has done for us in terms of Satan's power over us? Maybe you already all know this, but I'm going to share it with you. Do do we realize that our salvation, what Jesus has done for us, is he he has defeated Satan's power over your life? It it works this way. Um, the, The human peril, the human condition goes back to the Garden of Eden. Basically what happened is this. Um, Satan said to God in in Satan's tactic, you may have made them people and uh, you may have created them but they will never worship you and you will never love them because I have taken them away to sin. It was a brilliant plan because our God is holy who cannot even look at sin. And so he soiled humanity, Satan soiled humanity by their willingness to rebel against the word of God they heard, which gave Satan power over us. The power that Satan has over us is because of sin. And that, the power of sin is death. That's why we fear death. But when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary and shed his blood and carried our sins to the cross, his blood covers over our sin so that now God can welcome us into his presence and call us if you can imagine holy brothers can you imagine when we sin we put satan's power back in charge of our lives but we've been freed from that we don't we don't have to do that or live there anymore so god's plan always was far beyond the so called brilliant plan of Satan to separate humanity from God. And so the preacher here is saying to those who claim to know God, to know Christ, how can you continue to sin? And if you're continuing to sin, do you not realize that you are acting as if you're still under the power of Satan? And if you are, maybe you are under his power. So maybe you've never been rescued out of the power of Satan and come into a life-transforming relationship with Christ. And so he says here that when Jesus provided purification for sins, he defeated Satan's power over you. And the victory is in that you hear and obey. So uh, th- these are, there's a deadly progression that he points out here away from Christ. And I, I just want to point it out to you very quickly. Because when tough times come or when you're in a stressful situation or maybe you're allowing yourself to become spiritually sloppy and just not stay disciplined in the Lord, these things can happen to you. And the first is this. See to it that none of you has a sinful heart. What's a sinful heart look like? How does this transition or this this progression away from god start to take shape in your life well if you start to argue with what is right that's how you start justifying sin you start to argue with what is right you justify wrong choices and you stop thinking about jesus and that will lead to a sinful heart that becomes an unbelieving heart And then notice what it says here. There's a progression which then turns away from the living God. You start disconnecting yourself. If you you allow sin to to sort of take over uh, a term in your life, then you'll start disconnecting yourself from the truth. You'll start disconnecting or uh, moving away from people or places that you associate with the truth. That's why people start to leave church. They start to, to stop hanging around with Christians. They don't want to be near you because they're, they're, they're sinning, they're unbelieving, they're now pulling themselves away from God, they're moving away from God, and they start justifying it by suggesting things like, ah, God, you know, how, how could there be a God who, who would allow people to live in a slum in Kenya like that? Surely there can't be a loving God. And they start to justify that if he's really like that, I, I, I think, you know what, I think I'm going to reconsider whether I want to hang out with that God or not. And so you start with a sinful heart that moves to an unbelieving heart and you start to pull away from the truth, justifying yourself by saying, I'm not sure God is all that cut out, cut out to be what I, what I thought he was. And if you get to that place, you'll notice what it says here. In verse 13, see that none of you may be hardened by sins, deceitfulness, become totally unmoved by the truth. Sadly, you may know some people who have become so hard towards the things of God, they don't even, the wrong things, truth, it doesn't even affect them or phase them. They don't even feel it anymore. Because there's a peril to deceitfulness of sin. And it is this, you can't see your spiritual blindness because sin blinds you to your blindness. And that's why in the final statement here I want to make this morning, verse 13, it says this, this is the counteractive, the fourth point, but encourage one another day after day as long as it's called today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Get in the face of each other. Whatever it takes, these people welcome and offer spiritual health attention to each other in community. God's urgent tactical plan and solution is community. It's another layer of protection in your life. You have the word of God. You have The the teaching of God right before you. How many of you have to set two alarms to get up in the morning? Yes, there, there were some people in the first service as well. This is the second alarm. You can see this in your own life, but you often stop paying attention because blindness blinds you to your blindness. It really does. It takes the community. It takes everyone to encourage one and say, hey, listen, I've seen changes in your life and I don't like them. I don't like the way this is going. Or you're you're down and the way life is just just beating you down and you need people to come alongside of you and give you a hug and say, listen, I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to carry you and I'm going to help you. But we are getting to the finish line together no matter what. That's what it's taking. That's what's being called upon here as we wrap this up. Paul Tripp nicely stated, the body of Christ is an essential sanctifying tool of God. You can't grow by yourself alone. You can't. This There's a dis- consistent discipleship mandate throughout the scriptures everywhere. Everywhere you open the Bible, it's a discipleship mandate. Everywhere. And so as we close up, you and I need to have, in order for this to work, You and I each need to have uh, the humility of approachability. If you want to get to the finish line, then you need to be willing to be offer an active invitation to each other to help. I need you to turn right now to somebody beside you and say, "Please rescue me from me." Go ahead, do it right now. Please rescue me from me. (laughs) That's what this is all about. That's what this means. The humility of approachability. But secondly, you and I need th- to have Paul Tripp, this is Paul Tripp's ideas. You and I need to have the courage of loving honesty. Be truth tellers in love. Turn to that same person and say, You must love me or you can't help me. You must love me or you can't help me. Because that's what it takes. Listen, I think you know this, but who in their right mind would be willing to risk the rancor and anger and frustration and loss of friendship to get in your friend's face and tell them something is spiritually wrong? The only reason any of us would ever do that is because we love each other. The only, pers- the only person that will get in your face and tell you the truth is, a pe- is people who love you. Because there's no, there's no benefit to them. It's all about you. So we got to get in each other's face and, and call the truth the truth, but also we've got to come with our arms wide open and do it with a big hug. And finally, run from the culture of independent people who put their hands on their hips and say who do you think you are confronting me i don't like the chances for anyone like that making it to the finish line i'm serious i don't god's plan to counter drift is us the body of christ so whether you're in a discipling community or not, you've got to get in some sort of community. Smaller than this. I can't, we can't watch you from the platform. I'm, a, I'm terrified up here. It's too high. I can't watch you from the platform. Our pastoral staff can't watch you from our ministry positions. You've got to watch each other. We have to. Or we'll see seats continue to empty out because people will fall away and drift away into oblivion. Listen, the greatest fear in life is not death, it's not heights, it's not dogs. I don't know where that came from, but it just popped in. <laughs> the greatest fear we should have as people of God is unbelief. That is the greatest fear. And unbelief isn't ignorance. Ignorance unbelief is knowing and experiencing the truth and choosing to unbelieve it that's what the old testament example was these are the people who were rescued out of egypt by god these are the people who witnessed the parting of the Red Sea where they walked, by, walked through safely and the Egyptians were bulldozed by the water. These are the people who saw God provide food from heaven. They, they provided food by birds falling on the ground as, as like roadkill that they could eat. And what did they say when the least little bit of discomfort showed up? Is God really among us? is God really among us? And we look at them and we shake our heads and say that's ridiculous but listen how often has your heart been that close in a stressful frustrating time to be willing to utter those words I'm not sure if God really is. How could God have stood by and allowed those horrible things to happen to me when I was a kid? Be careful. Be careful. And this is where we need each other to, someone needs to come and give you a big hug and say, listen, you know the truth. You've experienced the truth. You've seen God act. Don't unbelieve ever. Because if you read the text at the end of this chapter, it says, why didn't they enter into God's rest? It was because of unbelief. That's the great fear. Father, pray this morning and thank you for your great love for us and patience. I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning. I pray for those who are not sure where they are, what their status is with you, right in here in this room. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Oh God, what do you want? I'm yours. Whatever For Jesus' sake Amen Would you bow your heads with me And just close your eyes this morning I want to ask you a question As you've considered What we've learned this morning What we've heard Where are you? You're either all in for Christ Or you're on the way out So where are you? As I go to prayer this morning, I just want to welcome any of you who might want me to pray for you. If, If your heart is somewhere where it shouldn't be, isn't all in, and you want me to pray for you this morning, just slip up your hand wherever you are, and I'll pray. Anybody else? Yes. All over the auditorium. Okay. Our Father and our God, you have told us that we should fix our thoughts on Jesus and make certain that our faith is being acted upon, that we nip sin at the bud, repent, seek forgiveness, confess our sins, and you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and then find someone or someones to encourage us day after day to stay with Christ. So Father, I pray for those particularly who put their hands up this morning. You know exactly where on the grid their heart is. Draw them to yourself, oh God. May they make the choices that are necessary to be all in for Jesus, I pray. And may all of us choose that. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen.